Today's reading is Romans 7, 1 through 14. Or do you not know, brothers, or I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives? Or a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may, be, we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not know, would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I, once, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, James. Well, good morning. Welcome to Ironworks Church. It's great to be here with you. Um, for those of you that don't know, Sam kind of introduced me. My name is uh, Josh. I am the Director of Congregational Care here at Ironworks Church. And I just want to give you an invitation. If, if you have things that are weighing you down, um, things that you might be having questions about, I would encourage you to reach out to me. I would love to talk with you and, and to pray with you. Uh, my contact information is on the back of your worship guide, and you can uh, reach out to me, and I'll be glad um, to help you and pray with you. Um, so, so please take advantage of that. And I am really glad to have all of our kids here this morning. How many kids do we have here? Oh, Sam, yes. <laughs> we have small kids and large kids, don't we? Uh, Matt, I see you back there too. Yep. <laughs> All right. I hope you are excited to be here with us as well. Um, before we begin, just a few rules for kids big and small. Okay? So first rule is we have to listen carefully. Okay? Listen carefully. Second rule, we have to be quiet, which means unless I call on you 
or you're whispering to your mom and dad a question, you should keep your mouth shut. Okay? So listen carefully, be quiet, and three, pay attention because I'm going to give you a few things to draw in your worship guide. And if you are able to draw them and show them to one of our helpers in the back after the service, you will get an awesome prize. Does that sound good? How many people like awesome prizes? Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Um, I wish that I had a doodle guide, but I don't. Um, What's that? I should get one? Maybe. If there's extras, maybe I will. Um, So as we walk through this passage, we're going to look at uh, three different things. Um, First, we're going to look at how we are bound to the law as creatures. Um, You can correct a little mistake that I made and cross it out. I put, we were bound to the law as creatures. We are bound to the law as creatures. Um, Secondly, we are going to look at how we were in bondage to the law as sinners. That's that's correct. We were. Um, And then third, we're going to look at how we have been provoked by the law to know sin. So I got my tenses wrong. I'm really, really sorry. You can correct those in your worship guide. Um, so first, let's, let's dig in. We're going to look at how we are bound to the law as creatures. So kids, you know, parents can be a little restricting, right? Uh, you can't do this. You have to clean your room. I have to take out the trash. I can only play video games or watch TV after my schoolwork is done. Ugh, so many rules. Um, How many of you ever said something like this? When can I be free from these rules? Any kid ever say that? Okay, some brave kids. Okay, how many adults remember thinking something like that when you were young. Okay, see, you're safe, kids. Even your mom and dad thought that at one point. Um, and and my, myself included. We've probably all muttered under our breath at some time, ugh, these rules are stupid and it's just not fair. But the fact of the matter is, is that while we live in our mom and dad's house, we are bound to the household rules. But when you move out, you are free from those rules and you can make your own rules. That's how it works. I used to be in my mom and dad's house and I had to obey their rules and then I moved out and I could make my own rules. And now my kids have to obey those rules. <laughs> so that's, that's how it works. You, you're, you're bound to them while you're in the house and then you move out and you're free from those and you can make your own rules. So... Um, This is your first drawing, kids. What I want you to do is on one side of the sheet of paper, I want you to draw your room really messy. You know like how it is right now. I want you to draw your room really messy. And then on the other side of the page, I want you to draw your room super clean like the way your mom and dad want it to look. Um, And maybe it looks like that once or twice a year. 
So uh, draw your room messy and draw your room clean. Um, So Paul, in our passage, makes a similar argument um, using marriage as his illustration rather than household rules. He says in verse 2, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So, in our analogy, if you don't clean your room and your mom and dad say you have to clean your room, you will be considered disobedient while you live in your mom and dad's house. Does that make sense? How many of you have ever gotten in trouble for a messy room? Yes, me too. Um, But once you move out, you can keep your room however you want, you know, unless you have a roommate or a spouse that would rather you have your room clean. Um, That sometimes happens. Um, (laughs) uh, But by virtue of the fact that we are made in God's image and the fact that we are creatures who descend from Adam, we are bound to the law the moral law. And as our um, confession says, we must have personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience to this law. Um, In fact, here's what the Westminster Larger Catechism says, if you can put that up there. Yeah, there we go. What is the moral law? The moral law is the declaration of the will of God to mankind, directing and bonding, there's our word, bonding everyone to personal, perfect, and perpetual conformity and obedience thereunto in the frame and disposition of the whole man, soul and body, and in performance of all those duties of holiness and righteousness which he owes to God and man promising life upon the fulfilling and threatening death upon the breach of it. So that's what the moral law is, and it is binding to all of us because we are made in God's image and we descend from Adam. Um, if, you're, if you're wondering, you know, does the moral law apply to all human beings after the fall? You're in luck. There is a question that is phrased just like that in the Westminster Catechism. How about that? Does the moral law apply to human beings after the fall? Although after the fall, no one can achieve righteousness in life by means of the moral law, it still applies to all humans generally whether saved or unsaved. So, what this is saying is we are bound to the law and to its demands, and we must have perfect, perpetual, um, and personal obedience to the law. That's what it says. Um, So, we are bound to the law as creatures, and we'll come back to that in, in a few minutes. Um, second, we were in bondage to the law as sinners. 
Paul says in verse 5 that while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So you can hear Paul using this language of, of we are being held captive and we were in bondage to the law as sinners. But uh, what, does, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in bondage to the law as sinners? Well, he tells us uh, that in the flesh, as sinners, our passions are aroused by the law, working in us death. So the law is working with sin in us, and it's producing death. <clears throat> Um, if you look a little bit forward, if you have your, your uh, Romans journal, you can look in Romans chapter 8, and Paul elaborates a little bit more on this concept in chapter 8 when he says this, to set the mind on the flesh is death. The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You are in bondage, held captive, unable to do what is right. Um, sin can be compared to the behavior of a parasitic wasp. Uh, this parasitic wasp flies around and it finds a, just a spider minding its own business uh, trying to spin a web. And this parasitic wasp finds the spider, stings the spider, and lays eggs in the spider's abdomen. And as the larvae develop inside the spider's abdomen, the larvae take over the spider. And then the spider starts to act weird, you know, like a zombie. Um, the larva makes the spider spin a web that it would normally never spin. Um, it creates this cocoon, and in that cocoon, the spider stays there. The larva devour the spider from the inside out, and then the larva are able to, to uh, stay in this cocoon and then eventually develop into parasitic wasps. Um, so, kids, yeah, it's, it's pretty gross, right? It's pretty, pretty disgusting. I see some of your faces like, oh. <laughs> um, kids, this is your second drawing, and I can't wait. I can't wait to look at these drawings. These are going to be epic. I know. I want you to draw a zombie spider because this spider becomes a zombie taken over by larvae. Zombie spiders. So draw a zombie spider. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Peter. So sin, sin is like a parasite. It takes us captive and it controls us to serve its own purpose, ultimately leading to our death. So this parasite, it takes control of the spider to serve its own purposes, to make a cocoon for the larva. And then ultimately, the larva devour the spider from the inside out. It, 
it is producing death inside the spider. And sin is just like that. It's inside of us, controlling us, making us do the purposes of sin and evil. And ultimately, what that will end up is we will die. So sin is like a parasitic wasp. And we are like spider zombies. Um, And Paul says that the sin is killing us from the inside out. And it's making it impossible for us to submit to God's law. Like he says in Romans 8, it's impossible. We cannot submit to God's law. We cannot please God in our sinful flesh. Um, Paul would, would say in verse 14 of chapter 7, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I am in bondage to sin because I am a sinner. The law is what holds me captive along with my sin. So, Paul says that we are um, bound to the law as creatures, that we were in bondage to the law as sinners, and we're like zombie spiders. And three, Paul says, we were provoked by the law to know sin. Paul continues in verse seven, and he says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So what Paul is saying is that sin and the law work in tandem to produce in us hopelessness and death, a realization of the sin in our hearts. What Paul is saying is sin kind of lies dormant in our hearts. We're born sinners and it lies dormant in our hearts until it hears the law and then it springs to death, springs to death, springs to life. Uh, Sin springs to life as we hear the law. Um, It it says, Paul says in verse 9, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. And I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and then I died. So we can say that the law awakens sin inside of us, and that we are provoked by the law to know sin. We can know it in a few different ways. Um, One, the law literally tells us what sin and sin isn't. So we get to know it in our head. This is what God wants, and this is what God doesn't want. This is the law that God has given us. And so as we hear it, we begin to know it in our minds. But it also does something different. It springs to life, and it creates in us this desire to disobey. So it would be like I'm walking by, and I see this big red button on the podium here, and I'm fine. Like, yeah, that's interesting. But the next time I walk by, there's a sign that says, don't push the red button. And now 
all of a sudden, I'm looking. I need to figure out what happens if I push this button. I just, I, why does it say I shouldn't push it? Like, what's going to happen? And then I look around. And everything blows up, right? Um, <clears throat> that's, how, that's how it goes in the cartoons, I think. Um, and, and so, kids, this is your third drawing. I want you to draw a giant red button with a sign above it that says, do not push the red button. And, of course, I want you to draw yourself pushing the red button because you, you can't resist. It's just there's the sign. you got to figure it out. What will happen? And I'm... Um, you know, you might not, you want to look around, make sure no one's looking, but you want to figure it out. So you're pushing, you're pushing the red button. <clears throat> Paul says um, in, in, uh, in Galatians that the law is like a tutor. It teaches us what sin is, and then together with sin, it provokes and awakens sin in us. Um, and he says that the law is a disciplinarian. It teaches us what is holy, and it also reveals to us that we are not holy. Uh, Galatians 3.23 says this, Now before faith came, we were held in custody. There's that language again. We're in bondage under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Thus the law was our disciplinarian until the time of Christ so that we might be declared righteous by faith, not by works of the law. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian. Guardian, yeah, or disciplinarian. Um, how many of you have ever had a disciplinarian? <laughs> uh, if you have a mom and dad, you probably have. Um, but uh, yeah, in verse 13, Paul asks an important question um, to help clarify what he's trying to say and to help us better understand uh, how the law works. So he asks, did that which is good then become death to me? Like if, if it's the law that suddenly made me want to push the red button. Like I was fine walking by the red button when there was no sign, but then when the sign came up, I just couldn't resist. Is it the law's fault? And he says, by no means. But sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin, produced death in me through that which is good, so that sin through the commandment, might be shown to be sinful beyond measure. Paul's saying it's not the sign that did it. It's the sin inside of my heart that just couldn't resist figuring out what will happen if I push the red button. It's not the sign's fault. The sign is good. Don't push the button. Why? Because something bad will happen. But I just got to figure out what bad thing will happen um, because of the sin in my heart. Paul calls the law good in verse 12. In verse 13, he calls it holy. Um, in verse 12, he calls it spiritual. I'm sorry, in verse 14, he calls it spiritual. 
and righteous. The law is good. We are bad. How is the law good? Um, well, in, in question 95 of the Westminster Catechism, larger catechism, it says, how does the moral law apply to all human beings? And in this, we can kind of see how the law is good. Um, he says, the moral law reveals the holy nature and will of God to all humans and obliges them to live by it. And it also reveals to them the sinful pollution of their nature and hearts and lives, which shows them that they're unable to keep it. The moral law also humbles human beings with the recognition of their sinfulness and misery, and thereby gives them a better awareness of their need for Christ and the perfection of his obedience. The law is good. The law is a tutor, and it's a disciplinarian, and the whole purpose of the law is to point us outside of ourselves to something better. The law itself is good, but the law by itself is powerless to save. All it can do is take us captive and give us the knowledge of the sin that dwells inside of us. It helps us to know that we're sin, that we are sinful. And Paul says of the sin that is inside of us, that it is sinful beyond measure. Have you felt that? Have you felt that in your own heart? The sin that's in me? Oh, it is sinful beyond measure. And this, if, if, you're, if you're like me and you're getting to this point and you're feeling this, this sin is sinful beyond measure inside my heart, you're probably going to be like Paul in verse 24 of, cha of chapter 7. What does he say? He, he's feeling this, friends. He's saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I am sinful beyond measure. Who can save me? What will rescue me from this sin that's sinful beyond measure inside my heart? And this is where Paul reminds us of our union with Jesus Christ. And he declares with all authority that comes from God himself and the Holy Spirit who penned this book through the hand of Paul. And he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Kids, this is your final drawing. I want you to draw a cross and beneath the cross, I want you to, bro to draw broken chains because Jesus sets us free from the bondage that we have to the law and to sin. 
And so I want you to draw yourself jumping for joy because you have been set free from sin and the law. Ironworks Church, what I want you to come away with today is this. The law is powerless to save, but Jesus saves you 100% completely in and out. Ironworks Church, you are bound to the law and its demands But the good news is, Jesus has fulfilled all of the law's demands for you. You were bound to the law and its sentence of death, but you have died with Christ and now belong, body and soul, to Jesus Christ. The law puts you in bondage to your sin. But Jesus, through the gift of the Spirit and regeneration, has set you free from the bondage to sin. You are free. The law provokes you to sin. But Jesus compels you and frees you to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength and frees you to love your neighbor as yourself. Because of your union with Christ, you have died to the law, and you now belong, body and soul, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of your union with Christ, you have in him, listen, you have in Christ personal perfect and perpetual obedience to the law reckoned to your account. You are completely faithful. You are completely righteous. You are completely holy. And you are completely good. Not because of anything in you, but because you are united to Jesus who is. You have the same spirit that strengthened Jesus during his own temptation on earth and that delivered him from the power of Satan. And so you can walk by that big red button and not have to push it. Because of your union with Christ, the wasp larva of sin has been destroyed. The wasp larva of sin inside of you has been destroyed. You are no longer zombie spiders. You are free human beings in Christ, no longer bound to sin. You can please God now. You are his son and daughter. And he is your father. And he looks down on every single one of you in Christ, and says, I am pleased with you. I love you. You you are wonderful. So Ironworks Church, let's, let's let's come to this table right here because it symbolizes our union with Jesus, his death, his resurrection, 
as we eat and we drink, Ironworks Church, this is the table of freedom. This is the table of forgiveness. This is the table that gives us power to say no to sin. So if you're feeling weak, like you've given in to sin this week, like myself, I need to come to this table and be strengthened. So let's, let's do that. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we are so incredibly grateful for what Christ has done. He has united us to himself through faith. And he has given us as a gift perfect personal and perpetual obedience reckoned to our account. He has given us adoption as sons so that we can call you our father. He has broken the chains of sin and death and the law that, ha- that they had on our heart and he has set us free. He has destroyed the wasp larva of death inside of us. He has set us free. God, I pray that you would help us to walk in that freedom. I pray that you would strengthen us as we come to this table. I pray that you would once again set us free from sin and remind us just how much you have loved each and every one of us in and through the person of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.